Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24 7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Uh, it's been a while since the two of us were on a podcast together, but we'll try to. Uh, catch up and then obviously as as it seems a season is somewhat coming creeping up in the calendar Uh, obviously we'll get to more of a traditional schedule when that comes but but this episode fielded some questions and most of them were about this anyways but I I released updated depth charts this week and and one of the uh, components of it was looking at what has changed since since we did the same thing in June. We won't go position by position in this episode. Instead, we'll look at any changes, battles we, we are hearing are closer than maybe we initially thought they were going to be. Um, you know, maybe any, any position battles that perhaps there is a winner. Uh, so we'll, we'll work through some of those. Obviously, if there's different discussions along the way, we can talk about that, the, how, how certain players are going to be replaced but Steve both of our questions off the bat were were about Joe Milton and and the first one comes from Tom Woods who says is the Milton hype real and so kind of depends on what you're defining as as hype and what you're defining as real they have not played a game I to my knowledge they have not done a padded practice even so any scrimmage scenarios it's a little bit more uh, like walk through seven on sevens. I mean, they're still working and everything, but um, it has not, there have not been true legitimate game replications yet. And so in a sense, a lot, anyone's hype during this is not going to be real, but Joe Milton, uh, I had him listed as our, as, as the starter in our depth chart as Michigan's starting quarterback over Dylan McCaffrey, who has another year of experience Milton, I think, think by now most of our listeners know the story. Uh, really just a live arm. It, it, the ball just comes out of his hand differently than, than maybe any quarterback I've seen in person, uh, at least, least uh, any Michigan quarterback I've seen in person. Really, you know, six foot five, um, athletic, not necessarily an, a, a dual threat, but can move, can, has good feet, uh, can work in and outside of the pocket. The big question was the accuracy, the game awareness, the, um, I guess, college readiness. You know, in, in high school, you can just throw it really far. And, you know, if you have the right receiver, you're, you're completing a touchdown pass in college. There's more nuances. So that was always the big question. We've reported all summer. Both he and Dylan really hit the, hit the film, hit the books harder than maybe even Michigan's coaches were necessarily expecting which I guess is, in a sense, not too surprising given the competitive waters. But Steve, to start this off, just the simple question, is the Milton hype real? We've, I think, multiple reporters on our site, and we, we try to keep a level head with things, have said Milton has, it would, if, the, if there was a game tomorrow, we're recording this on a Friday, Milton would be the starter. Uh, what, is, what is your perception on the Joe Milton hype? Uh, I, think, I think one of the things that go into the what you call hype is it feels like there are more people surrounding Milton and 
he's been in scenarios that have been more publicly digestible as far as like we've seen videos of him working out with Devin Gardner. We've seen videos of him throwing. We haven't seen anything of Dylan McCaffrey, who's always really kind of kept a low profile uh, every offseason, even during his recruitment uh, when he was, you know, after he committed to Michigan, just very kept a very low profile. So I think when a lot of sometimes it can be a deal where what, what you're seeing and hearing can impact your thought. That being said, from those like I guess sort of in the know or whatever, it does kind of feel like that the the excitement around Milton, which I think I've been quoted as saying this many times. I mean, I want to say Rashawn Gary, probably Dax Hill after, but I mean the mm-hmm. excitement from the staff after getting Milton was one of the two or three most like exciting reactions, I guess within Schembechler that I can remember on a recruiting in a recruiting situation. You got to remember Milton was, I wouldn't say he was, I mean, he he had a really good offer list and there were some really good schools after him, but it wasn't like it was a, uh, you know, a national signing day battle between, you know, they didn't beat like Ohio state, Alabama type to get him, but it was a guy that Pep Hamilton in particular, but also Jim Harbaugh very, very, very high on. Um, I want to say I'm, also, I'm about 80% sure, 90% sure that uh, Milton and Pep Hamilton still have a very close relationship. So um, that being said, so basically it's like I I do tend to agree with the hype as far as like I, I do think it's somewhat real as far as him being the starter. But I also think if we were seeing, you know, offseason clips of McCaffrey throwing and doing workouts and stuff, I think people might not be so quick to, you know, anoint anybody yeah. the starter because we know that this is really a battle that the coaches have viewed as was going to be neck and neck throughout. Right. Right. And, and I think you bring up a good point that, yeah, I mean, I remember when it was just like drills with Devin Gardner and it, and, and they were good throws. I mean, anytime you see Joe Milton throw it, it really, um, it really just reminds me, I think the, the phrase that's often used in, baseball scouting it's just a really live arm everything is in sync and the and the ball just comes out with with a little bit more zip uh than what you're used to seeing and and so you know he's always going to look good in in those kind of drills but yeah I, I feel like fans are are really almost almost salivating over the over Joe Milton's potential and I think you're right a part of it is that he released some videos of his practicing um you know where's where's still McCaffrey who I assume was training with his pretty, pretty darn qualified family, <laughs> you know, during when, when they weren't on campus, uh, not, not much, can't get much better than that. Having, you know, someone who's a division one head coach, former pro bowl receiver and, and Ed, and then Christian, um, you know, maybe the best player, best skill position player in the NFL right now. Uh, his brother played at Duke. So, yeah, his other brother plays at Nebraska. I assume they were training. He he just keeps a lower profile. Absolutely. In, but in terms of kind of what you were talking about about the excitement, and I think I think this was always going to be maybe a year three, uh, not not arrival. He was on campus, but maybe a figurative arrival where where things really click. And I know I know Michigan fans don't love Pep Hamilton, but he has seen a lot of really good quarterbacks. In the, in the NFL, in his time in college. And, you know, I remember when he committed, the vibe uh, 
um, you got the vibe that, that I think everybody got was kind of Michigan felt like they got away with something with this recruitment. You mentioned there weren't necessarily, you know, it's not like he was the top of everybody's board, but in terms of a quarterback that, Hey, if you work with him for a couple of years, this is, this is like highway robbery, getting him on the recruiting trail when, it, you know, out of a lot of other top schools, backyards. And so there's always been a lot of eagerness from Michigan about him. And I will say when, when we saw, um, you know, non-contact drills down in Orlando for about 20 minutes, he looked really good. He looked better than Dylan McCaffrey in, in that particular glimpse. So I think there's certainly some legitimacy to the, uh, to the hype. Let's, let's move on. U of M brothers asked this question. Say McCaffrey and Milton are essentially tied coming out of camp. If you were the coach, would you play the guy with more years under his belt or the guy that has more years left in his program? And I'll add an angle. I, I like the question, but I'll add this angle too. Do you, you, you kind of know McCaffrey has a sense of stability to him. He's been in the tough atmospheres. He's been in, um, you know, kind of in the fire, I guess, so to speak, on the road at Notre Dame, on the road at Wisconsin. Milton you're not entirely sure what you would get. So from a coaching standpoint, how do, how do you handicap the experience versus the potential, the stability versus the opportunity um, when, when looking at this? They might be a little bit more even than we think. And, and it's, you know, every account anyone has gotten has been a secondhand account, right? But, this, you know, perhaps kind of taking the narratives of these two quarterbacks what do you think Michigan should be prioritizing more right now? I'll, I'll do a, give a brief answer. I think they should be prioritizing the big arm. Uh, just knowing that these receivers, what they have, um, you know, knowing what they have in all these different slot receivers, just, just find somebody to get people the ball. And, and you know, it doesn't have to play it safe. Playing it safe has produced the results Michigan has gotten. Uh, I, I think you take the risk. I think you depart from some of your other values and go for the potential game changing quarterback. But Steve, your thoughts. Uh, pretty simple for me. A tie to me is not even really a tie because I think if they're tied, you have to go with the guy who has the higher ceiling. I think especially from an arm standpoint that Milton has the higher ceiling. You could debate about their ability to use their feet to make plays. I think McCaffrey has shown a few in a, a few instances that he's capable of making plays on his feet. We've seen that a little bit out of Milton too. I think you got to go with the higher ceiling guy though. If if you know if they're all in all, if they're tied, I because I don't think McCaffrey's had enough experience to make experience this That's like fair. big edge yeah, uh, between the got two. like twenty career passes, right? Yeah, you know I don't think that's enough where you could say, oh, he's been. You know, I don't I don't think that's enough. So I think you have to go with the guy who has who has the capability of raising the team's offense, uh, the ceiling wise. And I think, again, like you said, the big key, you know, we don't get the benefit of like a lot of other programs in our network where their writers can literally stand next to the head coach while they watch the starting quarterback throw. Um, we don't get that. It's a lot of, t it's 95%, if not higher, really uh, secondhand, like you mentioned, but Everything we hear secondhand is, you know, the excitement, the ceiling for Milton's high. I think, if, yeah, if they're tied, I think you got to go with Milton. Yeah, real quick on the open practices. I, I don't think Michigan's had an open practice 
in Ann Arbor since at least 2010. And it might go back even further than that. Uh, the only open practices I've heard of are either bowl practices, which is usually like 15, 20 minutes. And then when they went overseas and they practiced in, uh, I want to say France, they had open practices there. So I guess you'd consider the spring game an open practice of sorts. But yeah, even then, I mean, it's just, yeah, it is. It's, and that's their, that's their prerogative, but it does make it more, we become more meteorologists. Yeah. You know, when, when we're trying to, when we're relying on secondhand information and stuff, a lot of times with stuff like this stinks. So real quick on that, uh, just because I, I, I kind of got a question about this from, from a fan who's also a friend of mine is how do you, how should fans gauge the, the reports? I know, I know you, Sam and Bryce have done a lot of reports. I know other sites have done reports about what's being heard and in what's being, what's occurring in fall camp. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, they are all secondhand. Um, but, you know, I, I think one thing our site does a really good job of is, is kind of um, balancing, okay, you know, everyone's really excited about this, but how do you make sure, how, how should fans gauge, you know, when we hear X players standing out, what, what sort of things should they be aware of as to maybe the grains of salt? That- um. I think the I'm biggest thing that, um, does that mean? Does that mean? Does that mean? Does that mean coaches or the, the team really wants this player to receive a lot of praise? I guess what's the what should the fan approach be to this hype? Because especially at quarterback, this has been going on for a long time. I mean, really, Devin Gardner, Shane Morris, uh, Wilton Spate, John O'Corn, um, Brandon Peters. I mean, just down the list, pretty much Shea Patterson. Every quarterback who has not played yet gets kind of anointed, and I think the fans have a tendency to embellish that a little bit and, and maybe get, get almost too excited to the point where a, a solid quarterback seems almost like a disappointment. So what, what should fans approach be, especially this year when, when we really aren't going to have a spring game, I doubt we have a fall scrimmage. Uh, it's at some point they're just going to show up and play. Um, so with standouts in general, like, so if, if we say, you know, we hear really good things about X, Y, and Z history so far has shown that more often than not, that player usually ends up standing out. I think the issue is people take the word standout and turn it into like all American, you know, <laughs> sure, like, sure. you know what I mean though? It's like, so for instance, like when Chris Evans arrived on campus, I mean, we had multiple reports that he was impressing right away. He looked great. And sure enough, he played a huge role on the team as a true freshman. You know, I mean, he wasn't an all-conference player or anything like that, but was a guy that basically backed up a lot of the reports. Now, sometimes there's others. I think there, we heard a lot of good things about Donovan Jeter last offseason. Didn't really come to fruition. Um, for me, it's like standout does not equal – not always equal um, – you know, like all conference or all American level player. Now, if we're hearing, but then again, it's, it's all about context because if we say this, that we're hearing great things about Daxton Hill, a guy that we already pretty much know if he stays healthy, he's going to have a good career at Michigan. But if we're here, if we say we're hearing great things about a guy like him, then you can raise, in my opinion, I think you can raise the expectations on what that player will do. Right. So it's different mm-hmm. than like, it's always different with like first year guys compared to maybe guys who've been in the program a little bit, you got to kind of take into consider like what have they done so far 
And if we're still hearing good things about them or we're hearing that they've taken that next step, you know, that means then you take where they've been and maybe say, okay, well, Hill looked like a guy with an all-conference at least future, you know, late last year. If, if we hear he's taking the next step, then, yeah, I think the expectation should be high for him. So it's all about context. Um, at quarterback, again, I think it just – you have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. So, like, how high is the ceiling going to be for a guy who's – it's going to be his first year – as the man now we are seeing more and more in college football that guys can walk in as a first year starter and make big plays be a be a difference maker um especially with i guess and in michigan's case these this is their what third fourth year on campus for each of these guys right i mean it's not if they're totally green so i think you should have some expectations um i don't think i would not apply the the standout principle that I just mentioned necessarily, I think you'd have to raise your expectations a little bit. So if we're hearing that good things about Joe Milton, I think that means that Michigan thinks that this is a guy that can win them enough games to make Michigan fans happy. Now, will they win that up? We don't know. There's a lot of other factors, but you know, you got to think that they feel that that person's capable of doing so. So yeah, that's always a fun, that's always an interesting one for me. I mean, it's, it is, it's one of those deals where we'll consistently report, on like hearing great things about this guy and this guy and this guy. And then if that person isn't like, you know, a world beater, uh, you know, then that's it. Then uh, same old, or if they don't win, if they don't win 11 games, then <laughs> the fact that we said that this guy was going to be a lot better than he was last year is just right. us talking hype because that one guy was solely responsible for them not winning the game that, the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's where it's just kind of funny. It's like, you know, for us to say, if we were to say, you know, that we've heard great things about Zach Zinter and Michigan goes nine and three, that doesn't mean that we're just blowing smoke up pe- at people by saying that Zach Zinter looks like a, f- a really good player in the future. You know, it's like, so, uh, but, you know, a lot of people refuse to kind of acknowledge that context, but um, yeah, that's kind of the long of it, I guess. Probably the best way yeah. to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Fans want to be excited. I, I, I do understand where they're coming from, but yeah, maybe um, odds are, especially, I think you bring up a good point about veterans. If they were going to be an all American, they probably would have played a significant role in year one or year two. Right. Rare. I, maybe Chase Winovich is one example of a player who didn't do much his first two and maybe even arguably three years on campus and then started to look like an All-American. But, yeah, it's... Um, take, it, like, take it this like this. Yeah, I mentioned Jeter. We've always heard good things about Chris Hinton. Well, Chris Hinton, like, to your point, Chris Hinton played a lot as a freshman and looked like a guy who's going to be a really good player. So I guess if we're reporting that we're hearing that, that Chris Hinton has taken the next step, let's say, I would view that report in a different light than I would say if I said the same thing about a guy like Jeter. I'm not trying to pick on Donovan Jeter specifically. I'm just... He was a guy that we heard a lot of good things about last offseason, but it was also his third or fourth year in the program. So it's like, okay, well, we hadn't really seen much of him yet. So to, for me, that taking the next step is this guy's going to be could be a contributor. For Hinton to say he's taking the next step is like, okay, this guy might be an all comp. He could be an all conference player or has the capability of being an all conference player. So yeah, like like right? Aiden Hutchinson is the other Hinton, right? Yes, yes, Whereas exactly, absolutely. Played played in year one, and then there was real all-conference buzz in year two. Um, 
The other thing I would look at, and I, I'd say this kind of joking slightly, but sometimes quantity is more significant than quality because I, I think this is more of a press conference thing. Now, obviously, um, you know, this fall there weren't quite as many press conferences, but if you hear like seven different guys when asked who's really standing out lately mention the same player, yep. odds are that player is, is really, really, really impressing. If it's maybe one or two guys say it, um, or, or, or the other situation that sometimes occurs is people ask about, well, like today we had Brad Hawkins on and, and someone asked about the cornerbacks standing out replacing Ambry Thomas. That I would take with a slightly heavier grain of salt, but like a Josh Uche, I think it was the 20, spring 2018, it was like every, every single player and coach was like, man, he just looks like a monster. He's, he, well, he led the team in sacks for the next two years. So clearly, after playing very sparsely the, the previous two years. So clearly, I mean, it, it's not inconceivable for a player to go from bench to all-conference. It does happen, arguably, every year. But usually there's either a sign in the previous year or you start to really, it just gets hammered home by, by players and coaches. So um, maybe just, just something to consider as we proceed to now talk about other fall camp standouts. Right. Maybe, maybe a better discussion for the end of the podcast. But no, it's, so we talked about Joe Milton. At, at running back, I didn't change much, really. Um, that's a position I think was ready to go. Where there weren't really necessarily position battles. Uh, do think I do think a later start does help Blake Corum and Chris Evans, you know, in terms of acclimating to the offense, uh, in terms of kind of being even more entrenched into contending for that too deep, but not much there. Uh, wide receiver. Wait, wait, let me get. I'll I, go I, ahead. I got, I got one. I got running running back thing. Anybody who watched last night's Kansas City. Houston yes. Game. Oh, I was actually going to do. I'm going to ask you if I could do a story on that. Yeah. About Edward Slayer. Who does, who does he remind you of on Michigan's team? That's so Blake Corum is uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is what Michigan believes Blake Corum can become for them. Yeah. Um, and you can, I can see why, right? I mean, he's got the cut ability quick. The only knock on, on, on Corum is literally his height. That's it. And, uh, and to me, I mean, there's a guy that can catch the ball in the backfield. Like Michigan at running back would be, would be fascinating this year as to how they're going to divvy it up because, man, there's a part of me that thinks they really want to play Corum, even though you already got Charbonnet, a healthy Charbonnet, 100% Charbonnet. You got Haskins and you got Evans, who was it Todd McShay had him as like a top 60? Top 50. A top 50 NFL. You know, I was like, that running back room all of a sudden looks loaded. Um, but they're as excited about Corum as anybody right now. And and really will be fascinating to see if he if they burn his red shirt or not. Because you could you could easily argue there's no need to, especially when they only signed one back in nineteen and twenty that you may want to preserve that red shirt so that you doesn't get he more. technically get a red shirt either way? Oh, I guess they do. I, I suppose I guess they do now, don't they? But um But I know what you mean. Either either yeah. way, right? So uh but they're as excited about him as anybody, man. Like he's a guy that will be very fascinating to see how his career unfolds. Like that, you know, again, we've mentioned it before, but credit to Jay Harbaugh for so far has brought in two 
three really because he recruited Hassan Haskins has is the guy that's responsible for all three of these backs you know and they're also recruiting that position really well moving forward too so you know definitely be interesting to see how they divvy this all up yeah yeah Corum that's actually exactly what I thought of when I was watching last night's game it's like do I do I drop that comparison because I mean no I think you can it's, Absolutely. it's it you look at Corum's opening results 4.44 40 yard dash 4.22 shuttle run 33.8 vertical leap not that they necessarily need to you don't have to jump a ton at running back but still um really athletic and, and compact and they were talking about how Edwards Alaire has kind of turned his height into an advantage the way he runs so that's something to keep an eye on um other offensive depth chart changes I gave I bumped Roman Wilson up in uh, not, not he's not a starter but he I, I think I have him as the number 4 number 5 receiver um so that's maybe one significant change I think the big question he ran a 437 uh, and his track times kind of validate that he's that fast that's not a it's not a fast stopwatch or anything uh the question was just how does it look with with the helmet on you know in a football setting R- rumblings reports pretty promising there that um you know he can produce and and you know probably not a true outside guy he's kind of in that ronnie bell uh situation frame wise but is someone that could play maybe an outside role and has outside speed uh you know he has long speed in addition to to quick burst didn't any other skill position uh changes fans should know about no, I don't think so. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker, impressing at tight end. I think it's safe to say Matt Hibner is still a year away. I don't know if we're gonna would see a ton of him this year with Eric All. Yeah, it's a crowded depth chart, anyways, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I don't. Well, I think for a while they've always traveled for. So I don't know if they would maybe at least travel him. But I don't know if he'd, he'd play a ton. I think he's another. I think he's a year away. Um, for them, they're still excited though. But Luke Schoonmaker's had a great off season. Uh, I think they're excited about him as the third tight end. And then, uh, no, besides that, yeah, we've heard a lot of good things about Roman Wilson. I think AJ Henning kind of fits that. Is going to play a Giles Jackson, yep, sort of deal. Um, otherwise, no. I, I think the, the skill positions, everything's pretty much where it is now. Offensive line, obviously, Jalen Mayfield's gone. But I don't know if anything has actually formally changed on the line in terms of the depth. They simply, you know, we talked about how they had like four offensive guards that were competing for jobs. Well, now they they bumped Barnhart outside, um, and now they have three offensive guards competing for jobs. And and then it's really, I mean, it's the usual suspects, other than maybe Zinter pushing. And so maybe maybe that'll be the question. Uh, do you see Zinter pushing for a starting job or is that more of a, he'll just be a really qualified red shirt. And then, you know, if a player or two departs uh, after this, after this season, maybe next year is when he starts. Yeah. I I would view it similar to maybe how we reported Carson Barnhart throughout last year as a guy that if, if pushed into duty, I think they would be 
more and more comfortable, but I don't know if he's a guy that's going to walk right in and start right away necessarily. Part of that's because they like, they have a lot of young guys, you know, and then it, but at the same time, they are going to play the best five. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he can get in there maybe throughout the season or if the season stretches into next, if it's, you know, if they really don't play until next spring, then maybe, maybe it becomes more of a real possibility, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a riser, but I, like I said, I would treat him with the same way we kind of treated Barnhart. Maybe he's like that sixth or seventh offensive lineman. The difference between the two of them is I feel like Zinter's future is definitely on the interior. Whereas Barnhart was a guy, Michigan, literally felt comfortable playing him at any of the five spots so Mm -hmm. uh, that's really where that's at I think right now yeah yeah I think that's a that's actually a pretty good comparison to look at gonna be really interesting next fall because they're gonna have six redshirt redshirt freshmen they're gonna have three redshirt freshmen and I and I don't know exactly how many they have in the class right now but they're gonna have a handful of true freshmen as well I mean that's it, it's it's a really it's not going to be a necessarily a young off but in terms of eligibility it's going to be a incredibly young offensive line so going to be an interesting um interesting position battles across the board there defensive line i don't think much changed this fall and that i mean part of that's just because it sounds increasingly like especially kemp and and hutchinson but maybe even pay as long as the season isn't a spring season, as long as they can get it started, uh, you know, by by the early, by early January. Sounds like they're they're on board to you know give it one more shot together. Um, could be not saying that that's definite. I mean, Quiddy Pay could literally declare in twenty minutes, and you know right. that wouldn't necessarily surprise me. But but just having been able to speak with all three of them in the past week. Um, they they want to play, you know. They're still engaged in in the facilities and everything. So I don't have too much in changes on on the defensive line. Uh, I don't know if you do, Steve. No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, obviously, things can change. I mean, they're still practicing, so this isn't finalized or anything. Linebacker. Uh, I'm intrigued. Two angles here. One. Not necessarily surprising if you listened to our podcast earlier in the summer, but uh, Anthony Solomon's pushing pretty hard and, and probably, probably hard enough that Michael Barrett's like, man, <laughs> you know, I wish the season could have started uh, so he could establish himself. I mean, they're, they're both going to play. Michigan does not hold back on, on rotating linebackers, and especially at the outside linebacker, Viper, Sam-type roles. Uh, but Solomon's providing push, and then, and then the freshmen, perhaps it's to Michigan's advantage, seems like they're kind of coming in to provide uh, pretty quality depth. So some new faces, I don't think the starting three would change, but, but the backups, you know, Ben Van Summeren's another player who uh, maybe is ahead of schedule in his transition to linebacker. So Steve, some of your thoughts on, on the reserve linebackers, and, and I, I have to think... Michigan's feeling a little bit better about its linebacker depth than it did a month ago. Yeah, Van Sumer, like that's one of those uh, you hope to hear a name like that if you're Michigan, right? Or that you hope that a guy like steps up because, yeah, I think we looked at linebacker and safety in a similar fashion where they're 
they're really good at the top, but an injury or two, and all of a sudden you're playing guys that might not be ready to play. Uh, still hear good things about Nikai Hill Green, mm-hmm. the true freshman backer who I think probably projects on the outside, but is a guy I think they feel like they can move around to a couple different spots. So you know, I think that's important. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think for the most part, yeah, you hear Van Sumeren, Solomon, of, really to me, Solomon's a pretty important player for them just for that simple fact of he's a guy who could either A, push a starter out if he plays well enough, but B, he's just, he, it's like having like, we talk about like a six offensive lineman. It's like having another starter level player on your bench ready to go at a moment's notice. And so you know, I think he's a pretty important player for them to get a fifth guy to step up would obviously be even more optimal. Maybe that's Van Sumer and maybe that's one of the true freshmen uh, we'll have to see. But yeah, I think backer and safety we look at pretty similarly this season. Yep. Yeah. And, and have someone that you can play at multiple spots, I think is one, it just speaks to their ability to learn the, the, the defense and the game, but it also, and, and how quickly they'd make an impact because they understand the defense and understand the game. But also, um, you know, versatility can can come in handy, especially in defense like Don Brown's. But uh, let's see, not much, not much else change wise at linebacker. Safety, I I am. In, I mean, obviously the, the starting two, Brad Hawkins, Dax Hill is the is the same. That's been set in stone since basically October of last year. I am curious about the backups. I don't think that they've necessarily had anyone answer like a, like an Anthony Solomon has, but there's been positive reports about, um, and, and you can add or modify this list if, if I'm incorrect, but uh, Bakari Page, RJ Moten, and I think Sammy Faustin has gotten um, some get recent to, praise. Didn't he get I, due to the day, right? I think he got due to the day the other day. So yeah. uh, what, what do you make of the safeties? And, and then I'm always curious when it's a true freshman Sometimes, like Chris Evans, they're arriving and it's like, hey, this guy, better than advertised. But then sometimes I wonder if it's to motivate upperclassmen. I have a similar question about the cornerbacks in a moment. Um, I guess, what's, what's your read on, on where the safety depth is at this point? Well, like I said, similar to linebacker, although I'd argue maybe that the, the, the guys waiting in the wings at safety are of a higher ceiling, at least the the true freshman with okay. Mac- with Macari Page and Moten, right, are more like a Solomon type. Not sure what Van Sumeren's ceiling might be at linebacker. Maybe I'm selling him a little bit short, but um, just Page and Moten, both highly regarded guys. Page has really answered the bell. I think he's a guy that people were not questionable on. I know Michigan worked him out at their camp in the summer and liked him. I think they wanted to see a little bit more. But I think they're ecstatic now that they've had that they have him and have been working with him. I think they're ecstatic with what they have. I think there, there's a real ceiling there uh, for him. But it, yeah, this all starts at the top at safety. I mean, you have you talk about two potential All Conference guys. I think Michigan legitimately has that with Hawkins and Hill. Uh, and this would be it's got that I think it's their best starting duo at safety they've had under Harbaugh. I mean, I know Hill and at least it's the, I think it's the one that has the chance to be the best for sure. Can't say it's the best yet, but I think it definitely has the potential to be better than the Delano Hill, Demonte Thomas combo uh, they had in 16. So, you know, it'll just be a matter of Hill taking that next step, which again, I just, it's just, he's such a sure thing in my opinion. I'll be shocked if he doesn't become a mate, a big time contributor for them this year 
And Hawkins, as we've talked about, is underrated to the point now that I think he's rated. So, you know, I think there's the excitement with Bob Shoup coming in too, who's got so much experience coaching defensive backs and has a really long track record of successful defensive backfields. I think having him as a position coach is huge, uh, you know, for the development of these guys. I think he's going to really pay major dividends on the football field for them. So safeties, again, look a lot, look at it a lot like we look at running back, whereas, you know, two or three years ago, they were recruiting a lot of project type guys. It was not a position where they were reeling in a lot of sure things, but, you know, I think mostly from the efforts of Chris Partridge, who obviously is no longer here, uh, I think they've really turned that position around, you know, and you got, you know, no mention of Jordan Morant, who's one of the one player who did go home. I'm not sure how many other players. There were, there were a few and, yeah, and but not just many, to be though, clear, right? just to be clear, this is not, that's totally within, I, I completely understand it, especially uh, since he's still recovering. I, I think some fans kind of took that as a, uh-oh, what's wrong? No, nothing's wrong. This is very common around the country. Um, don't want right. to over-report it, I guess, yeah. would be no, the No, phrase. no, no, yeah. right. And we've mentioned before, he, I mean, he's tweeted that he's working out at home. I don't think it's a, much of a secret at right. this point. you know. But, but they're also excited about him, too, though. And, uh, you know, I just think the, the future, the present and the future at safety is brighter than it's been under Harbaugh right now. And like I, I said, that's why I said, I say the same thing about running back for sure. I think those are two positions where Michigan has kind of taken a, they've been a bit underwhelming on the recruiting trail, let's say. And I think they've really turned it around in the recruiting trail. And I think you're going to start to see the results on the field year on a year by year basis. And I think yeah. this will really be a, uh, maybe the start of that safety it's almost like the perfect situation for Michigan that they they had a really recruiting savvy coach and this isn't to disparage Shoop or Partridge but then as soon and then, then they bring in Shoop who is really developed kind of like a Mike Zordich yep. development heavy guy yep. um, you know seasoned veteran and so now he gets to develop Partridge's recruits but agreed, yeah it's agreed on both fronts yep. it's uh, uh, to cornerback this is probably the one position where I really don't I have a picture in my head of what of what the depth chart would look like, but I really think this might be the most open position across the board. I mean, Vincent Gray's gonna start. He he played starter caliber snaps last year. Um, did pretty well in them too. Seemed like entering fall camp. DJ Turner was getting a lot of buzz. Now we're hearing a little bit more for Jamon Green. Uh, you know, another a, a kind of maybe a bit more of a veteran in the group. Um, you know, one of those guys that was seen as maybe a year two, year three type of player. And then obviously um, the freshman, Andre Selden, Darian Green Warren, seemed, seemed to be impressing early. Man, I mean, you could. I feel like any given day, you could almost draw names from a hat uh, for that for that second and third and maybe fourth cornerback role. So at least that's my view. That's my view. I have a hard time making that was the toughest position to put together a depth chart on because I felt like every every time I relooked at what I had written, I I kind of adjusted it and said, oh, you know, we'll go with this, go with this. Um, 
didn't even mention Jalen Perry. That wasn't on purpose. He's another guy who who's had some weeks where he, he you know, his consistency has really improved. Uh, Steve, can can you help me sort this out at all, is, or is this position really just that wide open? Uh, I think it's relatively wide open. I still think you look at Gray, Turner, Green, probably Jamon Green. Um, you know, I don't. I'm not sure about the true freshman yet. I think they'll play. Just not sure if you're going to see like a ton of them out there. And then, yeah, Jalen Perry's another. Was he guy of the day? He wasn't. I don't. He. I think he was. Yeah, not a dude, dude, but a guy. Whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Love that stuff. But this is this is Don Brown talking, not not us. Right. (laughs) He uh, appears to be improving as well. Right. Yeah. Cornerbacks. It's it's interesting. Uh, I, I would argue probably not the hottest take. If Michigan was to play like in October or whatever, you know, if there was a season before the spring, I, I personally think losing Ambry Thomas is going to hurt Michigan more than losing Jalen Mayfield did. Um, I fully agree. Right. I mean, just I mean math, mathematically, it's one right. fifth of a position group versus half a position group. It's right. a senior well, leader versus a redshirt sophomore. Yes. And I think, I just think Thomas is harder to replace. And I'm saying yeah. that about Mayfield, who could very well have you know, if they had played this year, put, could have played himself into the first round. He still may be a first or second right. round pick. Uh, but I, I just think Thomas is going to be harder to replace. And so it's going to put a lot of pressure on Michigan's cornerback recruiting, which has been a sore subject for some, even though they've really by and large gotten guys that they've have wanted. They haven't had to reach too far into the cookie jar to get a guy. One of the guys they had to reach to get late was Vincent Gray. Yeah. And now he's your best corner. So, you know, I mean, they've done all in all, they've done really well, but we haven't seen green on the field much. We haven't seen Turner on the field much. I mean, that's just a fact. So a lot of uncertainty in that regard, but I would give those guys the edge. But again, I do see Selden and green Warren probably seeing the field. I think you got to get these guys some experience and then, you know, then we'll see what they do in the recruiting trail here in 21 to finish. I think it's, little bit of pressure to get another guy so uh it'll be interesting to see how that finishes up yep so that i guess we did go position by position but we tried to skip the parts where we didn't have as much to say uh to speed things up um trying to think if there's any any other things to note i also did a story last week breaking down whether a delayed start helps or hurts michigan at certain position looking at potential decisions that have to be made uh in addition to players maybe recovering from injury or, you know, they're trying to bring, bring players along uh, cornerback. Obviously they took a big hit losing Ambry Thomas. And so for them, a delay helps in terms of getting some of the younger players, players who haven't played even more ready, but it does hurt that. Uh, I, I do think that's, I mean, of all the players who could have gone pro, I really think Ambry Thomas was the one that would hurt Michigan the most. Every, Every other player off the top of my head who might turn pro, there's at least one more player at that position group um, who's who's there, who can who's proven it, and who can be maybe even an All Big Ten type of player. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to do it for this episode. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24/7 Podcast. Check out all of our stories over at Michigan.247Sports.com. Uh, lots. I mean, there is there is some fall camp or post-fall camp notes. Obviously, there's lots of news going on with the Big Ten, with 
um, you know, COVID-19 testing as, as that kind of gets sorted out. It's been officially one month today since they postponed the decision and boy, what a, what a month it has been uh, for news standpoint. Um, but regardless, check out all the stories there. If you like this episode, uh, be sure to subscribe, share it with your friends. Uh, let us know, write us a review. Always love to see those. But for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.